You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. Uh, I called this uh, message, Resting and Feasting, the Good Stuff. Resting and Feasting, the Good Stuff. And I truly believe that it is. Because while God does give us this, these rules and these things that, that are to protect us and to keep us from going into sinful ways, He also gives us these other rules that because He loves us so much, He says, hey, slow down. Rest. Because I love you. I want, I want you to make space to just rest. To stop what you're doing. To just sit in my presence. To worship. Right? And so this is the good stuff. This is the part where he just says, I just love you so much, I just want you to be with me. I want you to be with me every single day. But in these moments, in these things. uh, So now, uh, feast, everybody loves a good meal, right? Everybody loves a good meal. We had a really good meal uh, on Easter. Everybody bringing a little bit of food. We were feasting together. We enjoy doing that, okay? I've often heard uh, Calvary chapels referred to as calorie chapels uh, because of how much food is eaten together, okay? So that, it's, that's a good thing. We like feasting. We enjoy festivals. We enjoy getting together to do these things. So these are wonderful things. Think about Thanksgiving. You guys like Thanksgiving? That's, that's just a special holiday, isn't it? Where you just get to stop and give thanks, Right? And, and if you're a believer, that thanks, thank you, Jesus, so much to be thankful for, right? I love Thanksgiving. We get to eat, we get to sit back, but it's also a time of rest. Isn't that cool? That we, we have a day of just eating, and if you're, if you're the cook in the family, Thanksgiving Day is not a day of rest, Right? You get up early in the morning and you start cooking and you cook all day long. Now, some of you guys absolutely love that and that's refreshing and rejuvenating to you. But don't you love Friday? Because Friday, everybody's off and everybody's eating leftovers all day and it's just a day of rest. And if you love to shop, you can get up early and go shopping if you're into that Black Friday thing. But if you're not, you just stay home and rest. So after hard labor, where we get to give thanks, we have this wonderful day of rest. So we're going to talk about Sabbath. We're going to talk about taking a day of rest, all right? Uh, So uh, turn in your Bibles uh, to Exodus chapter 23, uh, Marie verses 10 and 11. We're going to kind of work through this just a couple of verses at a time. It's broken into little sections, and I'm going to keep it that way. Um, talking about individual things here. Uh, As I said, we've been talking about the ordinances. We've been talking about all of these things of how to live life, the details of life. So we're in Exodus chapter 23, verse 10, and it says, For six years you shall sow your land and gather it in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and that they leave the beast of the field, and what they leave the beast of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. 
Let's pray as we read this scripture and ask God to, to guide us along. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word, Lord, and we thank you that we come to you in worship in this way, reading your word, studying your word together, Lord. And we do just ask that you would guide us and direct us and teach us tonight. Lord, we ask that uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would move in our hearts, that you would mold us and make us more like you. So thank you, Jesus. We love you in your holy name. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, when we, we talk about this, and we're going to talk about us resting uh, here in a few minutes. That's the next section of Scripture. But the first thing that, that Scripture wants to talk about in this passage of Scripture is letting the land rest. Letting the land rest. Okay. Now, long before there was a farmer's almanac, okay, the Bible got all these things right. There's a few of you in this room that know what a farmer's almanac is, right? Yeah? Okay. Uh, so, but the Bible got all of these things right. Do you know that farmers today actually do something called crop rotation? Because they understand that if you plant the same crop too many times on a single field, that it'll kill all the nutrients, and then eventually the field would be worthless. Okay? Well, God set up an ordinance for that. He said, hey... Every seventh year, you need to let this land rest. Just let it rest. Plant it for seven years, and on the seventh year, you're just going to let the land rest. Okay? So even the land needed rest. Even the land needed rest. And, and one of the beautiful things about this, this ordinance here, this, this law that God is giving them, is six years you sow in the land and you gather. Okay? This requires planning, doesn't it? If I'm going to leave a field blank, for a year. I got a plan. This requires planning. This requires a, hey, you know what? For six years, I need to put a little bit away. So on that seventh year, the land can rest, right? Do you know that even farmers today, oh, I'm sorry, do you know that even farmers several years after this ordinance was put into place, the Jewish farmers started that concept of crop rotation? So that they could follow this ordinance, okay, what they would do is they would have multiple fields, and every seven years they would let one of those fields rest. And while that field was resting, they'd start planting on this new field. And then while that field was resting, they would go plant on this one and back to that first one. And so then they would create this rotation so that they could continually provide, but still let their plots of land rest for every seven years, right? And so here in this same scripture, it also talks about the idea of gleaning. It talks about gleaning for the poor people, that while your field is abundant, then gleaning, and you guys all know the concept of gleaning, right? You read the book of Ruth, okay? Ruth is probably one of our most famous gleaners. She's a gleaner. That's what she is, okay? She comes to Boaz's field, right? And after they have harvested, God gave the rule for them to, and he expounds on this rule in the book of Leviticus and in the book of Deuteronomy about gleaning, okay? And he says, here, I'm going to make provision for the poor and for the beasts of the field, okay? And what you're going to do is as you're cutting, as you're harvesting, stuff's going to drop to the ground. Leave it there. I don't want you to pick it up. Just leave it there. And then at the end of the day, after you've harvested that day's batch, the poor are going to come in and they're going to go pick up the stuff that's scattered 
on the ground. And they're going to gather that stuff together and they're going to take it home so that they have bread to eat, right? So God, in his provision, is taking care of everybody. He's making sure that every single person has the ability to be able to have food and to eat as we look at these things. And he says, leave some for the beast of the field, will eat as well, and some from the vineyard and from the olive orchard, okay? Not just in the field, but also the vineyard and the olive oil. He wants to make sure they have oil. He wants to make sure that they have grapes for the wine, and he wants to make sure that they have wheat and the things that they need to create bread and food. So you see that God's provision for these people is abundant. It's in every way. And he's trying to teach them in this seventh year land of rest, trust me. Trust me. Work for six, rest for one. Right? Work for six, rest for one. Trust me. I'm going to take care of you in that year. I'm going to take care of you. You've got to trust me. Now, this applies to so many areas of our lives, right? God will say, do this, and then stop. Trust me. I got you. I got you. But it's a test. Right? Now, it wasn't very long before the Jewish people said, yeah, but, but if we don't, then we can actually make more. And we can do better. And they slowly brushed aside this ordinance of God. And they said, we're not going to let the land rest. And do you know that they actually did that for 490 years? 490 years of not taking this Sabbath rest for the land. This seventh year rest. Guess what the punishment was? 70 years. Do the math, people. 490 years, right? Rest every seven years, okay? That is 70 years of captivity in Babylon away from the land. God will not be mocked. The land was going to rest for those 70 years that it should have rested. So here's the thing, guys. When God tells us, and he says, hey, rest, when we don't, we're trying to work in our own strength to provide for ourselves. When we feel like we have to work seven days a week just to make ends meet, we're not trusting God. Right? We got to trust God. And God punished the Jewish people for not trusting him, for not following through with this because they were showing that they weren't recognizing him as God over all things. Hey, God, and we all do this, guys. We're all guilty, right? I know you had a good plan, but I think I know better. It's cute. Sounds funny, doesn't it? But we do it all the time. We do it all the time. God? Okay, I know you said this, right? But, but, okay? Uh, so they were led into captivity for 70 years, okay? It would be 70 years before they would actually show back up into the land 
of Israel. Uh, so there's a lot of scripture, a lot of things that you can research there um, through prophecies in the book of Daniel and everything else that all correlates uh, into that. That's a very, very deep Bible study that we don't have time for uh, this evening. We have touched on those things as we studied through the book of Daniel. You can go back and uh, pick up those Bible studies. They're all online uh, talking about prophecies from the book of Daniel, uh, 490 years and a couple of other things that all correlate together. With that, and 70 years of captivity uh, was predicted by Jeremiah, who ended up in the middle of it, and uh, several other prophets as well. So uh, now let's, that was land, okay? And we kind of talked a little bit about us as well, but uh, let's read verse 12. It says, six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips, right? So the focus here is the rest that we need. The land needs rest, you need rest. You need rest, right? God established Sabbath rest in creation. It's not part of his law. It's part of how, what he laid down. He's made it part of his law now, but it was part of what he laid down in creation. He was setting, he was establishing rhythms. Work for six days, rest on the seventh, right? He didn't need to rest. God didn't need rest. He didn't need rest at all, okay? But he chose to because he knew that we needed it. And he was establishing a model, right? And so now we can look to him and see that rhythm of work and rest. Work and rest. And so he didn't only establish it for men, but he established it for all of his creation. We see here that it talks about don't work the beast, okay? Don't work the beast. Don't work the land we saw in the last thing, okay? Uh, so all of this, guys, is God saying, hey, my provision for rest is not only for my sacred people. It's for everyone. It's for everyone, right? Hey, the foreigner that lives amongst you, don't work them either. Okay? Don't work them either. Don't work the children of your servants. Because you've got to remember, in this culture, women and children did not have value. Now, that wasn't established by God. You see that whole narrative change when God shows up in flesh. Guys, that's the first time in history there where women begin to gain value in culture. Women and children. Remember the stories where Jesus says, let the children come unto me. What? Children? You're going to let them come up to you, but you're important. That's pretty much what the situation was. Jesus approaching the woman at the well in the middle of the day. What? A teacher talking to a woman in open public? Never. Right? Every culture that's been touched by the gospel, women have been elevated, women have been moved into more of a position of equality than any culture that has yet to be touched by the gospel. Do the research. You go into a lot of these other cultures in the world, and women are required to walk three or four steps behind. It was always God's heart 
But at the same time, God knowing and understanding the culture of the day, he made provisions to make sure that people weren't left behind. Make sure that you're not working the women. Make sure you're not working the children. I know your heart. You're going to say, that's right, men. Don't work. Make your wives do it. And when they get tired, make your children do it. Right? God knows the heart of man. So he said, oh yeah, none of these other people either. Okay? This is not just for you. Right? So he said, take a day of rest. Guys, we need rest. We need rest. Okay? And for some reason, I think I've taught on Sabbath and rest multiple times uh, throughout the last couple of years. And, and so, um, and I'm the worst at it. And I think that's probably why God keeps, anytime you teach, anytime you teach a Bible study, whatever, a small group, anything you teach, it's always God's like, hey, you, you, you need this. Okay? And I'm sure many of you can testify to that. Every time you teach, you're like, dang it. This is humbling. I don't like this. Can I just teach about something else I'm good at? Rest is something that's very difficult for me. Okay? Now, please understand, everybody finds rest in different ways. Okay? Don't think that for you to rest means you have to sit down and do nothing. Okay? Some of us rest by being around people. Some of us rest by being reserved and being away from people. Okay? You just have to understand yourself. What do I need to feel refreshed, okay? We're specifically talking about work, okay? Now, my personality is I want to work all the time. I want to, I, I, oh, there's 15 minutes there. Maybe I could squeeze in a little bit of work there, right? And some of you guys are like that, right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I know who you are. Uh, I'm kidding. But that's the thing. Some of us, for me, I'd rather be kayaking, playing pickleball, hanging out with friends, going out to dinner, having lunch together with people on a day of rest. Some of you would rather read a book all day long, right? But our rest should also include time of worship, okay? That's pretty important. And so uh, that is why God finishes this by saying, Pay attention to the words that I've said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods, okay? Don't let them roll off your lips because the idea here is that we look around the world and we see all of these other things that are happening in the world and we're like, hey, that looks good. I want some of that, right? And that's what the Israelites would do. They were like, look what they're doing over there. I want to do that. Well, that's worship to a pagan god. Yeah, but it looks fun, right? We kind of do that. Our gods today, maybe they're not like the gods of Egypt. Maybe they're not the ones that you read through and you're like, how could anyone believe this stuff? Okay? Don't you think that future cultures might actually look at us and go, what were they thinking? Why would anyone think that's okay? Right? But we're more the God of self. The God of materialism. Those are probably our two primary American gods that we have. The God of self and the God of materialism. Right? Now, we don't name them like the Egyptians did. But it's the same concept. It's what we spend our time worshiping. 
So he said, don't, don't rest. Don't be consumed by these things. Okay? So just rest. All right. So now you all know you need to rest. Now let's have a party. It's festival time, y'all. Don't you love the festivals? They're great. I absolutely love feasting. Okay? I absolutely love feasting. Now, I have to run a lot so that I can feast like I want to feast. Otherwise, it would just be a different story, right? So, um, because I like to eat, right? Who doesn't love good food? Carrie, Mike, smoked meat, right? Carrie and Mike, your smoked meat, that's great feasting right there. It's a good time, okay? Maybe some of that amazing beef stew with the mushrooms in it and stuff from that Christmas party. Remember that? Oh. Yeah, Mary Beth. Oh, yeah. Okay. Janelle's potatoes, corn casserole, maybe some of those wonderful salads we had at our Easter dinner, cakes by Susanna. Uh, those are the things we love to feast on. And every time we have a feast, guys, it's a time to remember. It's a birthday party. It's a youth group. It's something that we're celebrating. And that's what the feast in the Bible were all about. Something that we want to remember. Something. And the best way to remember things is to throw a little party. Right? Isn't that why we have birthday parties? Because we want to remember the person that's having the birthday. It's like a little kind of memorial for that person. Okay? Not memorial in the sad they died sense. Memorial in the... Okay, because that's what it sounds like. It's like, it's a memorial for that person, right? No, but it's, it's, it's the memories. It's the things that we like to celebrate, okay? They're a year older. Oh, remember when he was six? Oh my gosh, he was so cute, right? I've seen the pictures. Yeah, Jeremiah's like, yeah, my mom, she's always showing the pictures when I was, right? Okay, so... Uh, one thing that I love about studying, if you've never studied the feast out of the Old Testament, they're beautiful. They're absolutely beautiful. And here's why, guys. The feasts are a foreshadowing of Jesus, of what is to come in Christ. And so Paul states this uh, when he's talking to the Colossians about Sabbath and celebrating feasts. Colossians 2, 16 and 17, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to the festivals or new moon or a Sabbath. Okay? These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is belongs to Christ. Okay? So, to understand that better, you have to understand that these were all a foreshadow of what Christ was bringing. They were all a foreshadowing of what Christ represented, right? So, we're going to talk about these feasts, um, and it says here in verse 14, okay? Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It says, three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. As I command you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. Now, this feast is often a little confusing, right? It's a little confusing because it's so closely related to Passover. So I've heard people say, oh, it's exactly the same thing. It's not exactly the same thing. They just happen at the same time. Passover is a one-day celebration, okay? The Feast of Unleavened Bread is a seven-day celebration following Passover, 
Now, sometimes calendar-wise, Passover will kind of get included into the Feast of Unleavened Bread celebration. But technically, it should be on the 14th of the month, and the 15th should start the, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread starts with a Sabbath celebration and ends with a Sabbath celebration. Whether it falls on a Saturday or not, it still starts and ends with a Sabbath celebration. Because God gave them a day of the week. Okay, He said on the 14th of this month. That's what he told them, right? And so if you start to research it, if you start to study, and this gets really confusing, because in certain parts of the scripture it says you're to celebrate Passover in the month of Nisan. And you're like, is it a beep? Is it Nisan? Yes. It's the same month with two different names, okay? Uh, so that was difficult, okay? So you're studying and you're like, Nissan, what's going on, right? We call these paradoxes. It's an apparent contradiction that with further study, you actually can understand what it means, right? So this is just two different words used for that month. So we start with Passover, and you guys all know what Passover means, right? We've done Passover seders here, and the seder dinner is truly the celebration of Passover. Now, that Passover celebration has been just merged together with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Most of you that grew up in Jewish homes now probably celebrate Passover as a seven-day feast. Am I correct? A seven-day celebration okay, of unleavened bread. A lot of families just mix them together, and some stuff you read actually says it's the same holiday, okay? But really, scripturally, they're brought as two separate things, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. Now, we know Passover, okay, is the idea of celebrating the blood upon the doorpost so that as death passed over, okay, the, the lamb's blood upon the doorpost, so that as death passed over, the Israelites' firstborn would not be harmed, but the Egyptians' firstborn would be harmed, okay? Without the blood upon the doorpost. We all know that. We all know the reference to Jesus in that. There's beautiful foreshadowing. We've had full dinners here with explanations through every part of the Seder dinner that brings us back to Jesus, right? So let's look at this feast of unleavened bread. Well, if you know anything about Scripture and leaven, one of the things that leaven represents in Scripture is sin, okay? Now, if you remember when we celebrated, how many of you guys were able to come to the Seder dinner a few years ago that we did? A few of you, right? Well, we always start our little Seder dinner. We've got these beautiful tablecloths. They set it up all nice and everything. And every family unit has a feather, a spoon, and a linen cloth, right? And we put some crumbs on the table, okay? And it's ceremoniously, we take the feather and the spoon, we dust the crumbs off, we put them in the spoon, we wrap them in the linen cloth, and then the men of the house would actually take that into the center of the city and put it into a fire that was burning. And that was symbolically cleaning the house of the last bit of leaven. Now, Everybody knows that if you're getting all the leaven out of your house, it ain't with a feather, right? This would be a week-long cleaning, a week-long cleaning that the mother of the house would do, the wife, the, the woman of the house would spend the week cleaning the house, preparing for the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. 
And she would clean and she would clean and she would clean and she would clean and make sure that there wasn't even an iota. The tiniest crumb would not be left of leaven inside of her house. And then right before she would throw it all away, she would take the tiniest crumb of leaven and put it right in the ledge of a cabinet, right on the edge of the counter, or someplace that she knew her husband could find it easily. And she would give him the feather, and she would give him the, the paddle so that he could ceremoniously clean the house. Right? Yeah, that's how it is, right? So the guy takes out the, the trash and says, Whew, I cleaned the house today. That's what, that's what I did. Uh, so, but anyway, that, that's the idea, right? And so the house would be cleaned. Every piece, every bit of leaven had to be removed. And for seven days, there's no leaven in your house. Now, that doesn't mean you're eating matzah, okay? There is no leaven in meat, so you could eat meat, okay? There's no leaven in cheese, you can eat cheese, right? It's just bread products, anything that rises, okay? But that means brownies, no brownies. When I read that part, my heart broke, right? How can you have a feast if you can't have brownies? I'm just saying, or oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. Had to bring that back around. All right, so, so anyway, we see that, right? We see Christ in the Passover at the beginning of this festival, okay? That's easy, the Passover, that's easy. The unleavened bread part, okay? I found this when I was reading about this, and, and I thought this was really great. And this is by uh, an author. Uh, her name is Tammy uh, Kennington. And it says, but this is the part of the feast that points us right to Jesus. When we see how difficult it is to get all of the leaven out of our homes, we realize just how difficult it is to get the sin out of our lives. It is easy to find the obvious loaves of bread in the pantry, but you really have to hunt for the Cheerios between the couch cushions. Those of you who have toddlers understand. The rest of you stay with me. In this way, it is easier to get the big, obvious sins out of our lives, but more difficult to get the hidden, seemingly small ones out before they fester. Guys, this festival represents sanctification. Salvation in the Passover, the work that Jesus did to us, through a period of sanctification, the cleansing. And you guys know as well as I do, when you get saved, the big stuff, it just seems to go, right? It's so easy, okay? I use the illustration of turning the lights on in the house all the time. It's like, oh, you've been living in the dark, you turn the lights on, great. All the places are lit up, except for under the couch. And in the, the bottom of that closet, and the things hidden in the dark spaces. But you know what God does? Slowly, as you continue to know him better, he moves the couch and he says, hey, under there, we need to get rid of that. And you're like, wait, we don't show that to people. That's stuff we don't want to talk about. Right? That's the little stuff. That's the Cheerios hidden in the couch. That's the stuff we don't even recognize about ourselves sometimes. The sins that we have that often other people see in us that we're so blind to. Right? That's what that is. That's what this feast is. Gosh, I'm out of time. 
16, you shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor. What you sow in the fields, you should keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year. When you gather in from the field of the fruit of labor, three times in a year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. Next is the feast of harvest or the feast of first fruits. The feast is also called the feast of weeks or the feast of Pentecost. Okay, so these feasts often have multiple names. It's celebrated 50 days after the Passover, and it's meant to celebrate the first fruits of the vine, all right? In this feast, we are to bring to the Lord our first fruits. We are to recognize that everything comes from him. Scripture is clear in how this relates to Jesus. There's so much about bringing God our first fruits. On the day of this feast, in Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came over the church and he baptized them in the power of the Holy Spirit so that they may become witnesses, right? So this is about empowering the body of believers through the power of the Holy Spirit because of the blood of Christ to become witnesses to a lost world. That's what the Feast of first fruits represents bringing our first fruits to the Lord, okay? Bringing our first fruits to the Lord, okay? So this is how the church was established, the first fruits of the labor of Jesus here in the day of Pentecost. We know that, right? That's how the church was established, by the working of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the believer, okay? So we go out, we share, we give of ourselves unto the Lord, right? so that other people may know Jesus. And that's what this festival represents. But maybe your life ends up like Jeremiah, and no one ever listens to you. Well, that's where those scriptures come from that says that your labor is not in vain. God is the one that does the work. He is the one that, that causes the harvest to grow, that prepares it. Guys, we're just supposed to be sowing the seeds. He wants your first fruits. Let him deal with that at that point, okay? And that's difficult for us, right? But here's the beautiful thing. If you've ever led anyone to the Lord, anyone at all, whether it's your children or a friend or anyone, if you've ever been able to lead someone to the Lord and pray that prayer of salvation with them, okay, it is amazing. What an incredible reward. It's just beautiful. And that's the purpose of what God is giving through this festival through Pentecost. He empowers us to be able to do his work. He could have written it in the stars, guys, but he chose to use you. He chose to use you. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, why didn't you write it in the stars? Been easier. This is hard. And he said, I know. I know, but oh, the reward you get when you're obedient and faithful and you do these things like we're called to do, right? The next festival, the festival of the end gathering, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. It's all the same, okay? See how all these feasts have so many names? This gets confusing, doesn't it? Yeah, so uh, I love this feast because I believe this is such an amazing picture. God showed me this many years ago when I was studying this feast. This is such an amazing picture of where we are today. 
This is such an amazing picture of where we are today. This feast is celebrated by taking a tent, a tabernacle, a booth, they would call it often, to the harvest field when the harvest was ready. And this would be in the fall, okay? The harvest would be ready. You would take the tent out. You would set up this temporary dwelling right at the edge of your field with your whole family would stay in it. And every day, okay, you see this in Boaz when we read the book of youth, Ruth, youth, okay? Ruth, right? Boaz's tent is right there by the field. That way they get up early in the morning, they go out and they harvest, but their family stays there. They feast there off of the stuff that they gathered in from each day. And they stay in that tent until the harvest is complete. Now, John 1.14, here's your Jesus. Watch this, guys. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The Word dwelling is tabernacle. The Word dwelling is actually in the, the Greek, means the tabernacle. God became flesh and He tabernacled among us. So He had a temporary tent. He had a temporary tent. And he began this, okay? He began this. And watch, this is it. I love this part, right? This temporary dwelling place, okay, that the Israelites would go and they would sit until the harvest was gathered and they would live in these temporary dwelling places, but it was not their home. It was not their home. It was uncomfortable. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't where they could lay their head down and feel complete peace and rest in the security of their own home. They were in an uncomfortable place. Guys, Scripture says that we are the temple, the tabernacle of the living God. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. Guys, it's harvest time. We're in tabernacles. We're celebrating this feast of booths, of tabernacles. Now, as living tabernacles of the Holy Spirit, reaping the harvest. And when the harvest has come, we get to put these tents away and go home in a place of perfect peace and comfort. What a beautiful illustration of what God's doing us through these feasts. Every feast, as Paul says, is a foreshadowing of the work of Christ. Every single one of them, whether it's a festival, a Sabbath, a new moon, whatever it is, Paul says, don't let them judge you on how you celebrate it because they're all just symbols of what's coming in Christ. So it's a beautiful picture of us dwelling in temporary dwellings. Statistics say 10 out of 10 people die. It's not a good statistic. But it's true. They're temporary, guys. But we're not. In Christ, we're eternal. You were created in the image of a holy God. You were created eternal. And this is not your home if you know Him. You're in a tabernacle. You're in a tent by the harvest field. And when the harvest is collected, when it's ready, Jesus says, look, the harvest is ripe. Take us all the way back to that woman at the well that I mentioned earlier. And she runs into town and she tells everybody and they all start coming from Samaria. Jesus says, the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Guys, we're the tabernacle. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Our job 
what God has set us aside for. What is ordained, ordained for us is to reap the harvest. Seeds have been sown. And when that time comes, we'll get to go home to be with him. Right? Real quick, it says, you shall not offer the blood of the sacrifice or any leavened or let any fat of the feast remain until morning. Look at that. The blood of the sacrifice without any leaven. The sacrifice with no sin. Do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus in that verse? It's Jesus. The best of the first fruits from your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord. Everything we have belongs to Him. Because of Jesus, we can lay it all at His feet and say, I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. So we see the beauty of these things. We must always remember as we celebrate these things. That's the point of them, okay? Now, we don't celebrate most of these festivals today, but in a way we do because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we're celebrating these festivals. We just don't celebrate them in the same way that the Jewish faith celebrates them. But they're there, right? There's one last weird verse right at the bottom of this. We're not going to skip it. People are always criticized, say, he skipped the hard one. It's not really hard. It's just weird. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Lord, why'd you put that there at the end of this? This was a beautiful ending. No cheeseburgers. No cheeseburgers. That idea of meat and dairy together is actually a fairly modern idea. It was a tradition that was established uh, many years later by some overzealous Jewish leaders. Maybe you've heard that Jewish people can't eat cheeseburgers. It comes from this verse. Okay? Uh, they were afraid in some way that the cheese might have been made from the milk of the mother, that that meat comes from kind of an odd twist, but they didn't want to accidentally slip up in some way or another. And guys, what that points back to and what that shows us, guys, the point, the heart of this is, hey, this is what the pagans are doing. Don't do what the pagans are doing. Okay? But you can see how easily, if we get so consumed into the law, we miss the heart of Jesus in the midst of it. And, and the heart of Jesus is, celebrate me. Worship me. Come before me. I'm with you always. Don't do what the pagans are doing. It does not bring reward. It does not give peace and joy. It looks like it will, but it doesn't, folks. It doesn't. Do what Jesus has called us to do. Celebrate, rest, feast. All good things. All good things. I love what J David Jeremiah says, and I'm ending with this, I promise. My fourth ending. Uh, Christians have one key celebration to memorialize their redemption. Communion the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen through 34 tells all about it. Jews had three annual celebrations that memorialized their redemption from slavery in Egypt to the life of freedom and abundance in the promised land. We have one, and that's communion, to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to call Josh forward, 
and we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter where you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.